Well, I don't know if any of you have been to the hospital lately, but uh, it's, not a, it's not the most pleasant of places to go unless you need it. And so uh, uh, you know, as, you, as you go to the hospital, there are different levels of care. One of the levels of care that I go to regularly making pastoral visits is a, is a level of care called critical care. The critical care unit. That's where you have your own room, you have your own nurse, you have extra machinery all around. You just walk into that unit at the hospital, any hospital, and you can tell this is a much higher level of care than you get perhaps in any other area of the hospital. Why is that? Because in critical care, it is a matter of life and death for those who need it. I thank God for critical care units here in Durham, North Carolina and other places. But for Christians in our spiritual life, it's not that, that we need to go to a hospital because we need critical care, but there are those times in our life because of life and death situations, physically, emotionally, relationally, and spiritually. There are those times in our spiritual life where we need not so much critical care, but we need to engage in what I'm going to call today critical prayer. Critical prayer. The people of God must engage in times and seasons of critical prayer. David engaged in critical prayer uh, as King Saul was out to kill him. That's what we're going to talk about today. We're, we're continuing this series of messages for the summer on faith in the real world, looking at and examining the life of David. And we've talked about some of his background already. Today we're going to talk about a very particular episode in his life. He has been anointed as king, and uh, Saul, the current king, uh, is trying to kill him. Let me share with you some passages of Scripture that relate to this incident. From 1 Samuel chapter 15, verses 26 to 28, we find these words. Samuel the prophet says to Saul the king, You have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. As Samuel turned to go away, Saul seized the skirt of his robe, and it tore. And Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day. And has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. Now Saul had disobeyed God to the extent that God now removed his spirit from Saul. And God has anointed somebody else to serve as king. And Saul has been put out, so to speak. David has been anointed by Saul to be the king. But the problem is Saul is still holding the office. He is still the king. And in the meantime, David begins to serve Saul. He begins to serve as his armor bearer. He begins to, to enter into his service to play the harp uh, because he's talented musically and to sing songs. And uh, he becomes a friend of Saul's son, Jonathan, and they become inseparable. Somewhere along that process, David kills Goliath. You've ever heard that story, right? Next Sunday, on graduation Sunday, we're going to talk about killing giants. And so uh, that'll be next week. But David kills Goliath. And then Saul becomes jealous of David's success. The people are praising David. They're not praising Saul. And so Saul sets out to kill David. Now, 1 Samuel 18, a couple of chapters later, we find this. David is playing the harp for Saul. There's something about David playing the harp that soothes Saul's inner demons, if you will. And in chapter 18 of 1 Samuel, verse 11, Saul is sitting there with a spear in his hand while David is playing the harp. And it says, Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, 
quote, I will pin David to the wall. That's a bad intent, isn't it? But David evaded him twice. Now, if I'm in that room, if I'm able to evade him twice, the second time I evade him is going to be while I'm running out the door. I don't know about you. It doesn't say that in the Scripture, but that's probably what happened. Verse 12 of 1 Samuel 18. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. 1 Samuel 21, verse 10. David rose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. And David was much afraid of Achish. So he changed his behavior. This is David. David changed his behavior and pretended to be insane. Much like students in school are this time of year, right? <laughs> then Achish said to his servants, Behold, you see the man is mad. Why then have you brought him to me? I love this next verse. Do I lack madmen? Are there not enough crazy people around? And then he says, Shall this fellow come into my Don't bring this man into my house. He's crazy. That's what he's saying. 1 Samuel 22. David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress and in debt and was bitter in soul. Doesn't that sound like a great group of people? They gathered to him, and David became captain over them. And there were with him about 400 men. Pray with me. Our Heavenly Father, on this day, as we've already sung great hymns and songs of the faith, that Jesus saves May we be reminded that you save us spiritually because of what Christ has done for us on the cross. And may we also be reminded that as your children, you save us from all types of circumstances that would be difficult and dangerous and even life-threatening for us because you love us and you care for us. And I pray our Heavenly Father, you would help us even on this day to learn from your word, apply it to our lives, to enjoy and experience your presence in new and wonderful ways that we might live continually for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so Psalm 142. If you turn there in your Bible, Psalm 142. David was in the cave. And in that period of, the cave, of being in the cave, before all the discontented people joined him, before his family came down there, David spent some time with the Lord. And there by himself in that cave, he contemplated his relationship with the Lord and where he was in life and the difficulty he was facing. And he composed what we now have in our Bible as Psalm number 142. If you notice the heading in your Bible just under the title of Psalm 142, it probably says something like this. A mascal. A mascal is, a, according to Strong's Dictionary of Hebrew Words, a contemplative poem or a musical term. David is by himself. He's running for his life. He's in this cave hiding out, and he's by himself spending time with God, and he's contemplating, he's thinking, he's, he's pondering, he's looking over his circumstances, and he's writing down some things related to his prayer to God about the circumstances of his life. He was in a cave hiding out for his life. You and I have been in cave circumstances. 
We might, have been in, might not have been in a physical cave, but all of us have been in some sort of a spiritual or emotional or relational cave where life just is difficult and we find ourselves all alone. The great pastor C.H. Spurgeon said it this way, This psalm teaches us by example how to order our prayer in times of distress. Such instruction is among the most needful, practical, and effective parts of our spiritual education. He who has learned how to pray has been taught the most useful of Christian disciplines. I want to read that part again. He who has learned how to pray has been taught the most useful of the Christian disciplines. So we all face critical circumstances, and we all know what that's like within our own circumstances, and we're all called and given an example here in Psalms and other places of how to pray in times of distress. I want to point out to you from this psalm, Psalm 142, written by David during this time in the cave, I want to point out three encouragements, three principles of critical prayer that we can apply to our lives no matter what our circumstances are. The first is in verses 1 and 2 of Psalm 142, and that is take your complaint to God. If you're going to complain about something, take your complaint to God. And uh, here we see, and uh, well, I found a place on, on the internet, skillsyouneed.com. I like that website, Al. Skillsyouneed.com. They, they have a, a section on there, how to complain effectively. If you're going to complain, make it effective. Isn't that right? How to complain effectively. Rule number three, aim high and get personal. Now, what did David do? He's in this cave, and he's complaining, and he's complaining to God. That's about as high as you can get if you're going to complain high, right? And David got very personal, very personal talking about his circumstances. So he did exactly what skillsyouneed.com says. David is now in immediate danger. He may be dying the day that he was in this cave. He knew they were searching for him. He knew they were coming after him. He did not know exactly how long he may have to live. And so he took it to God. Likewise, I'm reminded of the, of, of the story in the New Testament of Peter. You remember Peter, uh, that great disciple of Christ, who was walking on the water, exhibiting great faith. And all of a sudden, he took his eyes off of Jesus, and he began to sink, and he prayed that great prayer, which is what? Quote it with me. Lord, help. That's it. Because there was an immediate, critical need in his life. And you and I have all prayed those similar prayers. Lord, I'm taking it high, and I'm making it personal. Help. That's what David was doing, and that's what you and I can do. We can take our complaints to God. Now, I want you to notice here in, the, in verses 1 and 2, uh, there are four expressions, what I'm going to call four expressions of critical prayer that we find in these verses. First is, there in verse 1, he says, I cry out to the Lord. I cry out to the Lord. He's expressing here a passion. He's expressing the depths of his heart. He's expressing the, 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 the burden of his soul. And, and, and he's in this cave. Now, I don't know what kind of cave it was. There are no dimensions giving, given in the Bible. I couldn't find anything in, in, in my study about how big this cave might have been. It might have been just a little small hole in the side of a hill. It might have been a big cavern. But can you imagine if it was more of a cavernous cave? And David's in this cave by himself. And, uh, and now probably good reverb. All, is that what you call it? Reverb and echo all across those chambers. And David is just pouring his heart out to God, crying out to God. And nobody else is around. Nobody else can hear. And he's, he's, saying, he's just saying over and over again, Oh God! Oh God! Would you do something? Oh God! Just crying out. 
over and over again. You ever been like that? You ever felt like that? Man, I know I have. And David cried out to God. The second expression, uh, verse, also verse 1, I plead for mercy to the Lord. Here we have a sense of desperation. I'm pleading. Oh, God, you've got to show your mercy. Oh, God, you've got to save me. Oh, God, you've got to keep the army away from me. Oh, God, you've got to deliver me. Oh, God, you have anointed me. Over and over again, he's pleading with God. They're in the cave. And you and I perhaps know that same experience. Thirdly, there in verse 2, he says, I pour out my complaint before him. I love, I love that statement. I pour out my complaint. I'm complaining to God. And here we have what I'm going to call just a sense of blurping. You ever blurped out something? Everything that's on the inside has been squeezed. Or if you're from around here, I say squuzz. And it's just it's getting tighter and tighter. And the pressure is building. And suddenly it just blurps out. It just blurps. I'm complaining over and over again. And that's what David is doing here. And that's what you and I have to listen. I'm going to say it very clearly. That's what you and I have the privilege of doing is taking our complaints to God. He is a merciful Savior. He is a wonderful counselor. He is the friend that sticks closer than a brother. And then fourthly, notice there in verse 2, I tell my troubles before him. And as I picture this whole progression here, I'm thinking that by the time he has cried out and pled and poured out and blurped out, that finally he maybe just get a little energy expended, and then he comes back and just now he can have a more rational conversation with God. And this probably lasted a long length of time. This kind of prayer doesn't happen in 30-second sound bites. Some people have said, well, if you pray like that, you're going to keep God busy. The answer is no. You're never going to keep God busy. You know why? He's God. He doesn't get too busy. But it's not that we keep God busy, but listen to this, that we keep busy with God. That we're the ones keeping busy. We're the ones focusing our attention on Him. As I think about this passage and taking our complaints to God, I was reminded of some important songs in my life that have meant something to me as I listen to them on the radio, as I've sung them in worship services. And so I began to look up some, some Christian hymns and songs about the topic of prayer and about this sentiment right here. And now I'm going to put you on the spot right here. I want you to give me an answer. How many Christian hymns or songs would you say, off the top of your head, relate to the topic of prayer? Just give me a number. How many Christian hymns and songs through CCLI relate to prayer? 300. You think that's a good number? About 300 songs relating to prayer? Let's give Al a good round of applause for that. Good job, Al. You're pretty far off, by the way. CCLI registers 4,805 songs about prayer. Do you know why? Because people get in situations like David and like us where they're desperate for God to do something. You ever been there? Let me share some passages with you from some of these songs. I'm not going to sing them, by the way. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and grief to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. Can I get a witness? All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Lord, I come, I confess, bowing here I find my rest. Without you, I fall apart. 
You're the one that guides my heart. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour, I need you. My one defense, my righteousness, oh God, how I need you. Where sin runs, runs deep, your grace is more. Where grace is found is where you are. And where you are, Lord, I am free. Holiness is Christ in me. One of my favorite groups, Big Tent Revival, had this song. What if his people prayed, and those who bear his name would humbly seek his face and turn from their own way? What if the life that we pursue came from a hunger of the truth? What if the family turned to Jesus? Stop asking Oprah what to do. Are you weary? Are you heavy-hearted? Are you grieving over joy departed? Do the tears flow down your cheeks unbidden? Have you sins that to men's eyes are hidden? Do you fear the gathering clouds of sorrow? Are you anxious what shall be tomorrow? Are you troubled at the thought of dying for Christ's coming kingdom? Are you sighing? Tell it to Jesus. Tell it to Jesus. He is a friend that's well known. You have no other, such a friend or brother. Tell it to Jesus alone. I could sing a few more out, but I won't. Let me give you some suggestions for complaining to God. If you want to complain to God, here's a couple of suggestions. One is, don't be a continual complainer. It's all right to complain, cry out to God, but don't be walking around all the time looking for something to complain about. Secondly, recognize your helplessness. You and I are helpless. Thirdly, recognize God's helpfulness. You know, God is a God of mercy and grace and strength to encourage us and lift us up in our difficult times. And then fourthly, consider God's purpose in this situation that you find yourself in. This is where, looking back, I can see so many times where I did not understand what God was doing and I did not understand that God was doing something in my circumstances. All I was interested in was complaining to God and crying out to Him, do something to take this burden off of me. Not realizing He was at work in that very circumstance. He is always at work. He is always molding and shaping. He is always using your present circumstances for some future opportunity for you to engage Him and be useful in His kingdom. Think about that. I began writing out this statement throughout my study this week, and I honed it and reworded it, and I'm still working on it a little bit, but I want to share it with you. I put part of it in your, in your uh, uh, listening guide if you want to write down and fill in the blanks. If God can do something about it, if He can do something about it, and listen, He can. If He can, and He can, and then He doesn't do something about it. Think about that. If God can do something about your difficult circumstances, and then He chooses not to do something about your difficult circumstances, then He is doing something in and through your circumstances. You think about that. If he can but he's not, then he's doing something in and through your circumstances for his will, his purpose, and his glory. 
Now, I've wrestled with that this week. Well, I want to word it right. I want to remember it. I want to write it down because it's so vital as we think about the difficult times that we've been through in the past. And if you'll spend some time looking back through what you've gone through in the past, I think you'll see as you pray that God will go back and reveal to you how he worked in the midst of this situation and that situation and this situation. The loss of a job, the financial difficulty, the health crisis, the death of a loved one, how God used those things to help you experience him in ways you never could before and to be prepared for usefulness in his kingdom. If he can do something about it and he doesn't do something about it, then he is doing something in it and through it for his purpose, his will, and his glory. I want you to notice secondly about critical prayer, and that is that, that we need to acknowledge God in our weakness. The first thing we need to do is know I can complain to God. That's, that's, that's good news about itself. God wants me to send my complaints to him. But secondly, I need to acknowledge my weaknesses and that I am alone. Verses 3 and 4 talk about this there in Psalm 142. David's alone in the cave. He came to some valuable realizations, some valuable things that helped him and will help us. The first thing that I can learn is this. I cannot trust myself. I can't trust me. David said it this way in verse 3, and it kind of sets the tone for this whole couple of verses here. His condition is this. He says, My spirit faints within me. I'm at the end of my rope. I can't go on. I have no more strength. I have no more wisdom. On the inside, my spirit is fainting. My spirit is, is just done. You ever been that way? I'm just done. And so acknowledging our weakness before God, starting with this, I can't trust myself for the answers. And notice, secondly, I cannot trust others. There's nobody around that I can trust. That's how David felt. That's what, he, that's what he shared out there. Verse number three, when my spirit faints within me in the path where I walk, they have hidden a trap for me. Others are out to get me. I can't trust others. Verse four, I'm alone. When my spirit faints within me, there is none who takes notice of me. Nobody even knows I'm around. I can be in a room full of people and nobody even know that I'm there. He's feeling all alone. We all can, can know what that feels like. For, uh, also, in verse number 4, I have nowhere to go, acknowledging my weakness to God. There's nowhere that I can go. Verse 4, when my spirit faints within me, no refuge remains for me. There's no place that I can go and get relief. Verse 4, also, I've been deserted. <laughs> you ever felt deserted? The very people that you love and trust and run to? David said in, in verse number 4, when my spirit faints within me, no one cares for my soul. Nobody cares about me. I'm thinking about the, the last verse of what a friend we have in Jesus, that great hymn that says this, Do thy friends despise, forsake thee? Take it to the Lord in prayer. In his arms he'll take and shield thee. Thou wilt find a solace there. Great words. Then notice this as far as acknowledging our weakness. I can't trust myself. I can't trust others. I'm alone. I have nowhere to go. I've been deserted. It's just me. But also notice this, verse number three. I know that God is there, and I know that God is able. Somebody say amen to that. When the whole world falls apart and everybody on this earth deserts me, I know God is there. I know he's there. When my spirit 
faints within me, you know my way. God knows me. He knows my name. He knows my circumstances. He knows who I am. He knows where I am. He knows everything about me. He knows if I'm on the top of the mountain and everybody can see me. And he knows if I'm tucked away in a cave hiding from the king, he knows that I'm there too. He knows all about me. And he knows my way. He knows my heart. He knows all about me. He knows where I'm leaning to. He knows what comforts me. He knows how to encourage me. God knows all those things. And when everybody else deserts me and I'm all alone, I'm reminded of the words that are found in Deuteronomy 31.8 and again in the New Testament, Hebrews 13, verse 5. The Lord says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He is always with us. Isn't that good news? But we need to be able to complain and acknowledge our weakness. And then thirdly, seek God's deliverance. Seek God's deliverance. And that's so important. It's essential as we pray. And that as we pray critical prayer, because times are critical at certain events and circumstances of our life, it's important that as we pray a critical prayer, that we pray believing. Not just throwing a prayer up there to see if it'll stick. Not half-hearted prayer. But a prayer believing. Acknowledging and trusting in God. Verse 5 reminds us there to acknowledge God wholeheartedly. There in verse 5, David says, I cry to you, O Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Now think about this. David's alone. Nobody's around. Everybody's deserted him. And still David believes and calls upon God and knows that God is there and that God is able. David says, I cry. I'm crying. There's the passion. There's the desperation. There's the emotion. There's the depth of how, 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 how much he means this prayer. He's running for his life. This is a real-life situation. This is a real-life encouragement of faith that you and I can latch on to today. And so we can acknowledge God in life and in death and in every difficult circumstances. In fact, I put on your listening guide there a fill-in-the-blank. And simply it says, my blank is falling apart. Right now in your life, there may be nothing falling apart. I want you to think with me. You don't even have to write it in that blank. We just focus on, on that statement for a second. And fill in the blank, either write it down or in your mind, what in your life is falling apart? Could it be a, a, a money issue in your life? A loss of a job, a, a something in the stock market, something with a relative that needed money, or, or whatever it might be. Have you gotten yourself overextended? Is there something about money that, 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 is, that leads you to a sense of that area of your life falling apart? Could it be marriage? A difficulty between a husband and a wife. A difficulty that says, my, my, my marriage is, is not just going through a tough time. It's literally falling apart. And we must pray for one another. And our marriages. Amen? We must do that. Some would say, my, my job is falling apart. It's, it's taking too much of my time. My pay is not enough. The stress it's giving me is pulling me away from my family. It's pulling me away from my church. My job is just, is just fall, making my life fall apart. You might be saying, my health is falling apart. A report, a test, an ailment. My health is just falling apart. And ultimately, you may say, my, my life is falling apart. 
I don't know where you are right now. I'm not trying to be a downer uh, in, in the middle of this beautiful day God has given us. But understand this, that when we say uh, my life, my health, my money, my marriage, my kids, whatever it is that's making my life fall apart, I still can call out to God who is there. And He is able. Also in verse 5 we see this, we can remember who God is. Remember who God is. Not, not only do we acknowledge Him wholeheartedly, but we remember just who He is. Verse 5, he's, I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. David calls there two things about God. God is a refuge. God is a refuge. A refuge is a place to go when times are tough and you can be shielded from the difficulty and shielded from the storm. When David was tucked up in that cave and they were out trying to find him, they couldn't find him anywhere, David had a refuge in that cave. And, and David is saying here, not just about the cave, but you, God, you are my refuge. You're my place of safety in trial and turbulence and temptation. You are the place I can go. And he says to God, you are my portion. The, the allotment that I get, the, the, the benefits I get, the spirit I get, the word I get, all the things I get from God, the portion that I receive from Him is enough to sustain me and to carry me through in a time of difficulty and desperation in my life. Remember who God is. And then, then also, we want to be reminded to ask God. Ask Him. God is big enough for us to ask of Him. There are three requests in verses 6 and 7 that are asked of God. First of all is this, attend to my cry, there in verse 6. Attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. Oh God, this is a tough, tough time. If I was any lower, I'd be about the level of a snake's belly. You ever heard that? They had snakes yesterday at the fishing tournament. Anybody, anybody come on and see those? And they picked some of those rascals up and were holding them. I know one person did not hold those snakes. Al Huffman, that's right. <laughs> but David is saying here, I am so low, oh God. I am brought to my knees. I am brought to submission. I'm fainting on the inside. I am so done. So, oh God, would you listen to me? That's the request. Attend to my cry. Secondly, in verse 6, would you deliver me from my persecutors? Is it okay to pray for God to deliver you? Absolutely. Oh God, this health issue has been dogging me for so long. I pray that you would heal me and bring deliverance. Oh God, I pray for my child who has gone a wayward way and he's not living for the Lord. I pray that you would bring deliverance. Oh God, I pray in my job, my boss is just giving me such a hard time and I'm trying to live out my faith. I pray, oh God, you would deliver me. Oh God, in this area, in that area, in this area, and whatever area you and I may be facing, Oh God, I pray that you would deliver me. Is that okay to pray that way? David did, and that's the example and the instruction for us is to pray like we see in the pages of Scripture. Notice what David prays. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are too strong for me. The battle is bigger than me. God, I can't handle this on my own. And you know, one of the best places in the world to be that is also one of the most difficult and, and fearful uh, and, and vulnerable is to be able to say to God, my struggles are bigger than me and I need help. I can't do it on my own. One of the greatest tributes of Americans through history is that we're one, we pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. 
We work hard. We're the can-do generation. We can, we can do anything in our nation. That's the mindset that we've historically had. And that's one of the worst mindsets in the world to have in our relationship to God. And it's a mindset that so many Christians have. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear when we try to do it ourselves and not take it to the Lord in prayer. So deliver me, Lord. My, my, my persecutors are too strong for me. I can't do it on my own. I mentioned one of my favorite Christian groups, Big Tent Revival, a little while ago. They've got another song called Jesus is Your Friend. It goes like this. Take the biggest thing that's got you down and stand it up right next to God. Anyone can see who's bigger now. It don't take no astronaut. So don't be scared or afraid because Jesus is your friend. Well, the third request he makes here in verse 7 is bring me out of prison. He's in that cave. He's there voluntarily, but he feels like he's in prison because he's hiding. And so he's imprisoned in this cave. Bring me out of prison that I may give thanks to your name. It reminds me that there are many of us in prison in some form or fashion. There are some who are in prison to a body that is broken down or doesn't function in some form or fashion. There are some who are in prison in their mind subject to thoughts and intents that they cannot control that drive them crazy. There are some who are in the prison of addiction that takes over your will and your power to do it yourself. There are some who are in the prison of sin that pulls us away from God. Well, and many other types of prisons that are out there. And like David, in those circumstances, whatever they may be, we need to cry out to God, Oh God, this is bigger than me. I can't handle it. But God, you can. And because I can't, and God can, I can have peace. I can have comfort. I can have strength. I can know that even if it doesn't work out the way I want, God is still in control. I know that even if I don't see what's happening and what God is doing in my circumstances, He is still at work always, and He's working for His good and His perfect will. I know that God can, and so that if He doesn't, then He's doing something in the midst of it for His glory. So, oh God, would you bring me out of this prison? And then lastly, I want you to notice here, we can expect rejoicing at the deliverance of God. I love this. One of the reasons, and there are many, and I'll point them out along the way this summer, one of the reasons that I believe David is called a man after God's own heart is this very psalm is evidence of that. He's in difficulty. He doesn't try to carry it out himself. He simply goes to God and pours out his heart, and he says, God, at the end of the day, when all this is said and done, I've got enough confidence in you to know that I'm going to be rejoicing because you're going to show up. Whatever happens, I don't know, but whatever happens, God, you're going to show up, and I'm going to give thanks to you. Notice in verse 7, there's thankfulness expressed. Uh, you bring me out of prison that I may give thanks to your name. Are we thankful enough, do you think? Are we truly thankful enough for the blessings God has given us? Material blessings, family blessings, spiritual blessings, a wonderful church family. A blessing. Are we thankful enough for the blessings God gives? David said, I'm going to give thanks to your name when you show up and deliver me. 
Notice there's a rejoicing here, verse 7. The righteous will surround me. Those who are, are followers of God, they're, they're going to surround me. Notice how that contrasts to verse number 4 when he says, nobody notices and nobody cares. Now he's saying, God, when you show up, the righteous, we're going to gather together and we're going to, to celebrate together and worship you together. And notice the blessing that comes in verse 7. For you will deal bountifully with me. In the moment... There's no evidence that God's going to carry him out. In the moment, there's no evidence that God's going to do anything at all except allow David to be killed by these soldiers that are pursuing him. And yet David, with great confidence, says, You will deliver me, and I will praise you forward into the future. I'm reminded that I want to pray. I want to pray with such a great confidence in God that I can say to him, Lord, even when I'm all alone in this cave and nobody's around, I've got faith in you that will carry me through, and I'm going to praise you now like it's already happened because it's going to happen. God will be victorious. It may not work out exactly as I would unfold it, but it's going to work out, and it's going to be for his glory. God is God. Now, ultimately, David's family and 400 other people came and joined him right there in that cave. Ultimately, they did. Saul ultimately was killed in a battle. Ultimately, David became the king at the age of 30, and he reigned as king for 40 years and became the famous King David that we all know today. But in the moment, in Psalm 142, in the cave of Adullam, he was a scared guy running for his life because the king was out to kill him. In this moment that the psalm was written, there's a crisis. In this moment, David engages in critical prayer. And in this moment that we read about in the Scripture, we're reminded of a great example and a great instruction that we would do wise, we would be wise to incorporate into our own lives. That we might, yes, in those times of, of complaining or those times of difficulty, we might be able to go to the Lord and just complain and complain and complain and cry out and pour out and blurp out because God is big enough to handle it. Amen? Is He big enough to handle it? But then also to know, also know that we can't do it ourselves. My circumstances are so great, it has taught me I can't do it myself. And then we cry out thoroughly, God, deliver me. And I'm going to pray before the deliverance comes with praise and thanksgiving, knowing that whatever God sees fit to do, it's going to work out in the end. I'd like to ask you right now, just to, would you just bow your head and close your eyes? And surely I didn't ask you, would you just go up and just start playing softly on the organ for just a moment? I want us to have just a, a brief, all too brief season of prayer this morning. Just get alone with yourself, heads are bowed, eyes are closed. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm not going to ask you to come forward to the altar. I thought about doing that, but, uh, uh, but at the same time, um, uh, uh, just know that this is a brief time for you to do business with God. What is it that puts you in that cave? What is it that you're struggling with right now? What is it that you're wrestling with before God? And will you take just a minute, maybe you've not done this before, maybe you do it all the time, but would you take just a moment and just, just tell the Lord, just blurb it out to God. 
God, here it is. And I'm complaining about it because it's tough. Take just a moment and just tell the Lord however you want to from your heart. God, I can't do this on my own. I need you. Why not right now? At whatever place you are in the process. Things might be going great for you right now, and if so, praise the Lord. But you might be in the midst of that cave experience yourself right now. Why not? Why not right now? Just acknowledge to the Lord. I know, Lord, because of you, it's going to be all right. I'm going to praise your name. Lord, because of you, it's going to be all right. I'm going to be thankful even now. Lord, because of you, it's going to work out for your glory and for my good. And whatever that means, right now, I'm going to praise your name. Lord, we come before you right now. And I pray that something has been said today from your word. It will help somebody in this room in their walk with Christ. I pray that somebody somewhere in this room right now, Lord, could be encouraged. And if they've had a reluctance or a hesitancy to really just lay it all out before you, that, Lord, they can see that the Scripture gives us not only permission but encouragement just to cry out to Jesus. May we do so in this environment. May we do so, Lord, when we get alone by ourselves in our homes. May we do so, Lord, with you. Thanking you Thanking you, Lord, and blessing you, and looking forward to the deliverance that comes to all who put their faith and trust in Jesus' name. Recognizing that sometimes the deliverance is right here and right now, but sometimes the deliverance only comes in eternity. But either way, Lord, that's all right, because you've got it all under control. Lord, I pray that anything that needs to happen coming out of this message today, that you would impress it upon our hearts and lead us to know exactly what we must do to take action, to exhibit our faith, to depend upon you more and more as we pray this in all our prayers. In Jesus' name, amen. Along here in just a moment, that phrase of a song we mentioned a few moments ago, I must tell Jesus all of my trials, all of my struggles. When I walked up here, he just handed me, a, this is your cell phone now, I guess, a message from uh, Randy Carden, one of our church members. Randy uh, sings in the choir. He works with EMS. He's the guy you talk to on the phone when you dial 911. Randy texted Al and, and asked us to be praying for the Summit Church today. You know, the Summit has multiple campuses around, and uh, Randy let us know there was a suspicious package that has the hazmat team, EMS, and the police at the summit's main campus. 
So, uh, you know, we live in a day and a time where we just have to be safe. We have to be careful. And uh, we hope it's nothing and look forward to getting out of church and finding out it's nothing. But at the same time, we want to pray for them now. So I'm going to ask you to stand, if you will. And I'm going to pray for them. And then we're going to begin singing. And I want you to make this song your prayer. I must tell you, Jesus, all of my trials, all of my struggles. And after a verse or so of that, Al's going to come and lead us uh, as we conclude. If you want somebody to speak with and talk to as the service concludes, Al's going to be around. If you're one of our deacons, folks, just kind of hang out here at the front. If anybody wants someone to talk with or pray with, you come find one of those guys, and we will look forward to having an opportunity to be an encouragement to you. Our Heavenly Father, today we pray specifically right now for those that are in this room. And Lord, we might, that we might tell you all the burdens we face. We also pray for our friends, the Summit Church, asking that whatever's going on there, we cry out to you even now, Lord, for a false alarm. We cry out to you for safety and security. We cry out to you, Lord, thanking you in advance that you are using this circumstance for your glory and using even this circumstance as a way for the gospel to go forth. We pray for our friends over at the summit, for your blessings upon them even now in Jesus' name as we sing. Amen.